Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today on our show, we've got another amazing guest. He is an avid author, global strategic advisor, and private intelligence analyst whose humanist journalistic work has been read, referenced, and praised by such a diverse audience, including White House officials, Ivy League academics, Marvel and Disney storytellers, Hollywood personalities, celebrity journalists, intelligence officers, technological investors, military veterans, and fellow artists, activists, and entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Amir Dreama. Ahmed Nasir, how are you doing today? <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, this is fantastic. Uh, so such a diverse career here. We're listing off all those people who, who have been interested in the work you've done. Um, kind of walk us through this chaotic journey you've been on and uh <laughs> What sort of things have uh, kind of led you down a, a path of trans transforming yourself? Thank you for the opening and the generous introduction in that question. I would have never, if I was asked as a kid, said, oh, I'm going to grow up to this, you know, be this kind of person and have this kind right. of influence. But what I do remember as a kid is I was always obsessed with sound. Okay. So why does the car sound like this? Where does that sound come from? Music. I would stick my ear to the speakers and crank up the volume. And my parents would get really upset and annoyed. Like, you're going to damage your ears. You can't listen to music this loud. But I'm trying to listen and analyze. So I was always obsessed with sound and replicating sound. And that got me in touch with musical expression. Eventually got into music. And as that carried through... I got a lot of feedback that, you know, make this a hobby. It's it's not a future. It's not really viable. And over the years, I guess you could say anger built up in a repressed okay. way. And right. the environment that I was in at the time, we were living in Southeast Asia uh, before North America, even though my parents were in Wisconsin way, way back earlier. So we moved around quite a bit. But by then, I got into journalism. And journalism enabled me to channel my frustration and, you know, just certain things that I wanted to talk about were finally okay to talk about as a journalist. But the problem with that is I missed being a musician. And I had a false belief that, yeah, music isn't really viable. It's not really for you. Not objectively, but because of what I had heard growing up. And so that desire right. to be musically, creatively expressed somehow found its way through my journalism. And one thing I heard repeatedly from high profile leaders and people that I would talk to off the record, you know, they would open up sometimes on the record. And I didn't know why they would open up to me and talk and like really get into the conversation uh, in ways that they wouldn't do necessarily with other journalists. And then I realized it's because I was obsessed with music and I had done so much work as an artist and a musician, not in a professional capacity, but, you know, with friends in school, my university days. Uh, hey, I wrote this song. You know, can you help me with it? 
And so I used to produce. And when you're producing, you hold space for the artist and there has to be a good sense of safety and trust there. You're not there to judge. You're not there to say, aha, gotcha. You create that environment for the artist to be expressed vocally. And so that translated into my journalism in such a way whereby guests could feel this guy doesn't you know, have this way of trying to ask me a question to say, gotcha. And then he sensationalizes the interview later, takes things out of right. context, you know, because that's a genuine fear and concern. And sadly, so many journalists or so-called journalists, they don't practice journalism with the right standards and ethics. And you could go to university to learn it and still kind of be pretty bad at that or be self-taught and have come up, you know, with some credibility. So the musical aspect, the creative aspect really helped with journalism. Absolutely. So the journalist career basically started when you were in Southeast Asia. And what sort of uh, assignments or things were you working on? What type of people were you interviewing at this point in time then? I had started a blog in 2006 when social media was just emerging. And before that, yeah, it was GeoCities and Tripod and all these different tools that yeah. <laughs> used to create websites in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then with Blogger by Google, you know, and eventually WordPress, there was the ability to engage in global discussions. And all of a sudden, you're talking to people all over the world. And this was before Twitter and Facebook. So that was really my start in 2006. And it was based on interest and things that I cared about from a human rights perspective. And I turned out to be one of the first individuals actively writing on some of these issues on a niche level, like particular global hotspots, one can say. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, I got an audience of readers who were coming from the United Nations, people in Washington, D.C. think tanks. And I'm freaking 20. Wow. That must have been a bit of a surprise shock to the system. Absolutely. Because before that, you know, we didn't have the technology that democratize self-expression to such an extent. And even if we did have the tools to use the tools and actually make them matter and make them count, you know, that takes skill and practice. So I just did it to improve my writing, to be honest, and to have an outlet for my frustrations and indignations around certain issues. And like I said earlier, much of it was anger around, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, I'm very musical, that's me. I'm not someone who's scholarly, who does music. I'm a musician who can engage in scholarship. I'm a musician who can teach and guide and do consulting. I'm a musician right. who can do good interviews and do journalism. I'm a musician who can do speaking. I'm a musician. It's like everything was saying to me, be anything other than who you really are. Wow. Such a huge amount of conflict just circulating in the, the brain, the body, the nervous system. And you're also doing human and human work. You're, you're out there and you must have been in some stressful situations at the same time. So not only do you have that inner tension, but what was the chaos around you as well? Just to kind of put things in, in perspective. The real stress that made me pay attention arose when I got my first death threat by email. Whoa. And wow. the level of seriousness, like, I didn't know anything about that kind of experience. You know, it could be just somebody, some random person halfway around the world sitting in an armchair, you know, and just saying stupid crap on their laptop. Or it could be credible. I had no idea. But again, because I had a history 
you know, in school, dealing with bullies and fights. And, you know, so I guess you could say my amygdala was um, getting overactivated, you know, since we're here on the Hardy Brain Podcast with Dr. David Hardy, might as well reference the brain. And, and, and it's stressful, you know, right, to be in those situations. And so quickly you realize journalism, writing, uh, expression of any kind that has some level of audacity that could upset people who couldn't care less about rule of law. Uh, you know, you start to realize, yeah, this could get risky and slightly problematic. And so the stress in terms of expression is significant because if I speak, consequences could be really bad. And so the amygdala gets in the way. And yeah, just the, the body, the nervous system is not really that well attuned, which is why I so wanted music on you know a deeper level, even though I didn't consciously realize it was going to help me with my nervous system. Right. So during this kind of peak of the, the stressful situation, you're, you're, you're feeling like tense before it. You've got all this, this pent up anger, frustration with yourself, with the outside world. And now you're getting death threats on top of it. Um, were you even able to kind of process that I need to sit down and play some music and take myself someplace else <laughs> temporarily to escape. Definitely this. not with that level of self-awareness consciously, right. maybe unconsciously, you know, it's like something's got to give, something's got to give, something's got to change. Like this isn't sustainable, but in the meantime, I got to do what I got to do. I don't know if I have a choice. So it was right. only until things got serious with my writing in two ways. The first way, the seriousness was really good. Serious meaning serious people in serious institutions began to take it seriously. And I started to be invited. Initially, I wasn't paid to speak. Eventually, yeah. that changed. So that was really awesome that people took it seriously, serious individuals. The other part of it, okay, yeah, things got serious. It's not the good kind of serious. It's the kind whereby right. you realize, wow, some of these death threats and some of these, you know, coercions or attempts at coercion are actually real. And wow, I'm starting to have influence in think tanks and organizations that deal with this kind of work. And, you know, some aren't happy with that. And so then eventually it leads to actual credible threats that forced me to leave Southeast Asia. And by that wow. point... I was meant to go to the United States to join my brother. You know how we have family there. As I said, we started our family history in, in the early 1970s when my parents immigrated from northern Sudan to Wisconsin. But I couldn't go to the States because of my visa issues because I was younger and they didn't take care of my paperwork. And thank goodness, Canada stepped in and got me a visa fast and I came here to safety uh, in 2014. And I continued my journalism here, but I really began to question and I questioned seriously and robustly because I knew now I had options. I wasn't forced in the previous circumstances that I was in to do what I did to continue doing that. I could actually shift and adjust and, and move on with my life better and differently here with more freedom. And as I like to call it, it's the freedom to be free. But it doesn't mean you're automatically free. You just have the freedom to be free. So what does that look like for you? mind-blowing too that you had to leave your your country that you're living in because of the work because of everything going on uh what was that initial response like when you 
kind of touch down in, in the airport of new country, knowing that you're starting over. I thought it would be relief. And it was relief on some level. But right. speaking of the brain, one thing <laughs> the therapist, my first therapist said to me, because I didn't really want to have therapists before I kind of you know, stayed away from that. It's only when I came here that culturally it's like, okay, therapy, this whole therapy thing, maybe, you know, I can engage in it. It's not for weirdos and people who are psychotic and really horrible, you know, or going through some bad time or who end up in a mental institute, like all this silly, dumb stereotypes that have no basis in reality. Um, Not really. I mean, that's not therapy anymore. Maybe it was back 50 or a hundred years ago, you know, but we should get over that. And so having access to that, being okay with it really helped. And what came up is even though you have felt relief from an administrative perspective where like, oh, I made it here and I passed and, you know, I have my uh, hearing date set and then I got granted my status and of course, big relief. But I didn't feel relieved truly because as a therapist explained, the brain was repressing so much like your mind was just repressing and repressing and repressing to cope and then when you arrived here paradoxically even though you were relieved in terms of status and being able to stay in paperwork your mind is saying ah no need to cope and repress like we used to because now we're in a physically safer environment so the irony of that that's quite paradoxical is all the repressed stuff, the pent-up stuff started to surface in full force. Uh, yes. All my prior traumas started to catch up to me here in Canada, and my coping mechanisms were gradually falling apart. Yes. So basically, you went from this heightened alert survival mode, and your brain, your body, your nervous system is still firing like that for a while. And when it gets this moment to calm down, all of this starts to rush out. And uh, instead of feeling the relief and joy, you're you're having to deal with all these issues that, that kind of happened. What was kind of your journey to ease the mind then and kind of nurse and heal your your body your soul back to into the state you're at now the truth is i wish i had a dr hardy back then (laughs) to help me understand this at the level of the brain and not only at the level of the mind or mindset or psychology, something you've talked about previously quite a lot, and we very much agree on you and I, which is this overemphasis on mindfulness and mindset as if the nervous system has nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's an important discussion. You know, we really need to shift things. So for me, I started meditating, for instance, sensible recommendation. But what they don't tell you too often is meditation can actually make you be in touch with the very emotions you don't want to be in touch with, and you're going to feel them more. And so it's actually going to lead to more discomfort. Wow. Okay. Then I discovered there there are different kinds of meditation. So it's like fitness. You know, meditation is such a broad word. Like, oh, I want to be fit. How? Um, P90X, uh, CrossFit, run a marathon, be a gym rat. 
swimming, hockey. Like, what are we talking about being fit? Like, there's so many options. So the same thing with meditation applies. And so I began to understand that some forms will help me, but I also needed to get better um, in terms of my physical discomfort. And so I started to hit the gym really hard and I transformed for the first time. Like I had like solid packs. Like, whoa, I actually did this. Never did that before, ever. And I used to do like one or two pull-ups. And then it got to the point where I was doing 50 pull-ups for a warm-up. Immediately after arriving to the gym, after running there. So I would run there. I would jog and then I would run. And then I'd get to the gym and I'm amped up with music too. Of course, yep. duh. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I, I hit the pull-up bars, different kinds of pull-ups, 50 in total. Sounds amazing. There's only one issue. I was still in pain and there was still right. something going on. And so then I get told, huh, I don't think you have a mind-body connection. Wait, you're not feeling this stance right now in this way? I'm like, no. I mean, I'm moving my body, but like, I don't know, what, yeah. you know what you're referring to. So I didn't have a mind-body connection. And in clinical terms, I was still um, in a lot of dissociation. Right. I was dissociated from my body. I was dissociated from myself. I was like, uh, I didn't write any of those things. I don't know who did, but it wasn't me. It was somebody else who wrote all of that. (laughs) Because I felt a sense of guilt and weight and responsibility. And to add context to the listener, you know, there was surveillance and I had a rogue undercover, you know, like dude working for a hostile regime, find me and pursue me and come first with carrots. But I knew the sticks were coming, you know. And so when you get exposed to that kind of stuff and then you think, what if my expression could have hurt my family? What if because of right. my writings, someone I care about got targeted because that happened to people wow. I know? who were journalists. And in fact, to add even more context for the listener, I know you know this, David, um, and it's usually private. I don't really talk about it, but I had two colleagues assassinated. Like I have had the experience of receiving news about two of my colleagues in journalism assassinated. So that made things very clear. So you talk about survival and amygdala hijack and stress. It was a full-on threat of, this could happen to me too. I could be targeted and killed in an assassination. It's so bonkers. Now, this may sound weird to the listener, and I don't want to seem nonchalant, but it really, really does help when you zoom out and you realize it's an occupational hazard. When you're a writer and a journalist, especially in an environment that's a tyr- tyranny or dictatorship, uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very major you know, hazard in your occupation. If you're a police officer, it's an occupational hazard that you might face people who, you know, may want to kill you or hurt you or do some stuff to you because they don't like you as a cop. So so there are some jobs where there is an occupational hazard. And I began to see it that way. And that helped me come out of the shock and the trauma and feeling like, you know, I'm the one who's being aggrieved and da, 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 da. And it's like, it's okay. Bad things happen and you can move on now. Being an artist, being a musician, is there an occupational hazard to that? Uh, I guess every occupation has its own <laughs> challenges, but obviously <laughs> it's very different when you're in a musician in, in a more open and free society 
and you have your freedom of expression protected, so long as it's not hate speech, especially in Canada, unlike the U.S. with the First Amendment, you know, anything goes. We have slightly different rules here. But overall, like our free speech is protected, certainly relatively compared to elsewhere on Earth. And that's why I keep saying that Canada, for me now, you know, it's an island of sanity relative to the rest of the world. And I would not have been able to recover had I not had an environment like this that's conducive that helped me be okay getting in touch with my fears. Because I know logically, technically, legally, I'm safe. Like nothing bad is going to happen. Um, but even then, you know, there are risks everywhere in this day and age, and you have to make choices about the way you lead your life and whether you want to be in survival with a stressed out nervous system and brain issues or adopt a lifestyle, whatever that means for you, that can help you be healthier. To, to some extent, that makes a lot of sense to me. But um, part of it is that, yeah, you went through this life death situation and it's not exactly something that's front of mind when you sign up. You're thinking, yeah, I'm going to write things. I'm going to make changes a little bit to the world. I'm going to express points of view. But nobody says, yeah, you, you have a chance of being assassinated. <laughs> and in, in other careers, you know straight off the bat, yeah, it's a serious risk. And the support systems are put in place quite often. That is such a great point. Yeah, such a great point. Thank you for that. Yeah, You had to learn all of this on your own, though, and deal and cope with it. And the amazing thing, too, is this healing journey you've been on is something that can be shared, expressed with many people who are going through whatever trauma they're going through. And... How is this translated into what you're doing now with your coaching side and uh, what your future plans are kind of with this, with this journey and career path you're on now? Even though I'm not a doctor or a specialist of any kind when it comes to the brain, um, such as yourself, I do know enough from experience to point people to books, to resources, to make them aware that their nervous system issues will come up and in fact are already in the way of their progress in their business, in their leadership, whatever domain of life they want to be better at. And so even though I work at the level of values and conviction and voice and expression, go figure, based on my own background, I recognize having a better, more attuned, uh, easier to regulate um, nervous system Uh, helps tremendously and it shouldn't be a conversation that only happens in the clinic it should also be a conversation that happens in boardrooms and around dinner tables and so the way i look at it is we've got to be more holistic and so for me that also means enjoying things and doing things that help me experience more wholeness and less fragmentation more wholeness and integration and less stress and being in disarray. And so if all I did was music, I would probably miss out on certain things in life because a song isn't an essay. And sometimes an essay is a better form of communication with a certain audience for a certain purpose. Sometimes a book is a better form of communication. And so I love executive coaching in the domain of creativity because it keeps me at the top of my game. It gives me an outlet to share a lot of stuff. 
Uh, I never got into coaching as like this deliberate strategy. It was more like, hey, can you help me with this and that? And I started to help people. And then eventually it just became too much. And then a friend was like, well, why don't you do a workshop and, you know, we'll pay for it. Like you could charge for it and, you know, we'll bring some people and do a workshop on storytelling and communication. And so that's how it started. It became an outlet and it definitely helps with music and journalism and it keeps me practicing. So it's important in this day and age, especially if you're more of a free agent to figure out how to reconstitute, yeah, your career in life once again, because you can win in the game of the career or the game of your business, but if it's at the expense of your health, and you know, then, then, then you're losing in the bigger game of life. Right. Now, some people may be cynical with this as well. It's like, yeah, you've got all this experience, um, life or death. And yeah, you're coaching oh, founders and rich people. And it's like, oh, they don't have the same problem, but there's a tremendous amount of stress, pressure, and not to the same extent. Um, was there any cynicism kind of in yourself when you started to build or when you, you start hearing other people's problems? Oh, first world problem. Um, or was it, no, this person has an issue and I need to help them with it and I've got the experience? Absolutely the latter. Because as I said, I didn't seek out to do it to prove something to myself. It was more requested because I was just doing it for free and enjoying and being myself. And I think when you're enjoying the process and you're having fun, it becomes easier. Where I did have issues and maybe not cynicism, I had issues around uh, working with people or companies that I didn't feel were mission oriented. Like there was no uh. mission to what they were up to. If that was missing, then yes, I could get a bit cynical or like, oh, I don't want to really engage in this. I'm not sure. I'm not galvanized. It, it has to be really mission inspired and mission driven for me to engage with this. So with you being here in your podcast and having worked together, I feel like I'm part of your mission that I could help with it. I could support it. Uh, I could be of service in it because you really are mission oriented and you've been curious and you've been inquisitive and also asking questions and seeking out the bigger themes in life that will work out for you. And I love that. And I appreciate that. And I honor that. And I think it's sacred. I think it's important. And I wish the education system globally, generally speaking, would take that into consideration versus cookie cutter approaches and, you know, the industrial model, which is now thankfully being phased out slowly, but surely. So right. those are really important elements I look for. And so if somebody's mission driven, even if it's a mess of a situation or they've got it largely figured out, but there's just a few small issues, it doesn't matter. As long as it's mission driven, um, I'm engaged and I'm at the very least very curious to learn more. And now you're an artist, not just with your music, but with writing and especially writing other people's missions or getting them to accomplish that. Kind of walk us through what you do with the Assertive & Co. Uh, to bring this out in people who have a mission but don't have the voice or the skill level that, that you have. Um, what sort of tactics and uh, experience and uh, kind of big case studies uh, do you have? That's a really cool question. Thank you for that. We could go in different directions. Let's take a moment. <laughs> drink a bit. <laughs> 
I stumbled upon Assertive and Co. as an opportunity, kind of, sort of, by accident. Because prior to that, what my friends, my colleagues, my peers at work invited me to do was to teach storytelling and communication. And it's still quite broad if you think about it. Storytelling and communication, I mean, that means so many things. So what are we really talking about here? So by the time I get to Canada, I'm like, I got to formalize this and give it structure and brand it well. So I was thinking, you know, um, Edelman and Co., Tiffany and Co., Assertive and Co. I've always loved the word assertive and assertive.com is taken and cost a fortune, but .co just got made available. Somebody didn't renew it. Like, I'm buying it right away. And so to sit with that, I would then remember some of the outcomes that would happen for people. And the word that came up was, you know, I'm, I'm more assertive now. So it's not, I'm a better storyteller. I'm a better communicator per se. That happened, but it was the assertiveness piece. Like, why is that key for me? Because I'm not running a public relations firm and doing press releases and helping people with that. That's not the communication I do. Right. So what is it about the assertiveness? So then we get into it and we get into it. And then I realize, oh, I'm actually helping people like tune into their conviction and amplify through their voice. And the conviction comes from a mission. And so in interviews, in conversations, you go deeper and deeper. And in music, you want to go for the deepest form of expression that the person can muster. And that takes excavation of oneself. And to excavate things from your past, from your story, is not often easy especially if people have been in dissociation of some form or some sort. <laughs> right. And so I could provide somebody with a storytelling approach and template. And heck, this day, you know, an age with AI, uh, sure, just go to chat, GBT or whatever, and bam, there's tons of content. But say you use it to author a book. Get chat, GBT to freaking author you a book. Okay, congratulations. Now you have a written book. Oh, it's even published. What happens when you go on book tour? Right. <laughs> what happens when people start asking you about the content in it and they don't feel that you're actually speaking based on that book with conviction and there's a transmission that's clear and there's lucidity of thought? The whole point of writing first and foremost is to become a better thinker. You know, like just thinking of thoughts, like arranging thoughts in your mind. No, this sentence should be first. No, no, I, like that's thought patterns and you're arranging and curating and streamlining, it makes you a better thinker. So just click, 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 click. Oh, AI generated content. Yay. Where are you in the matter? So, so conviction has become much more important throughout the history of Assertive and Co. And we've had all kinds of outcomes across the board. So for leaders with expertise, no offer. Now there's an offer or I have an offer. It's converting. It's awesome. It's making lots of money, but it's not me. I don't like my clients and I feel trapped having to create more content for the news feed beast, the news feed monster on Instagram, right. on freaking Facebook, on LinkedIn, more, 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 just more content, pump it out, pump it out, pump it out. But oh, I'm not fulfilled. I'm tired. I don't even feel this business is an expression of me. So they're stuck in a really painful position. So then how can they readjust the business, realign themselves, realign the business. It's more of an expression of who they are. And that helps. And in dramatic circumstances, we worked with the founder of a company 
who really wanted to get to 100 million in revenue, but was stuck in stagnancy and frustration and very miserable and didn't know how to break out of that to get more into flow for the next stage of life. So we needed to do some excavating. What has not been excavated? Or maybe there has been an excavation of these certain traits or certain issues, but you have yet to make sense of them or articulate them or infuse them into your brand or realign them to make them part of your day-to-day way of operating. So, so figuring that out helped him break out of that lethargy and stagnation and over three years growing 50% and then another 50% and another 50%, that compounding growth, the company hit $100 million in revenue annually. And most of wow. it is on a subscription platform. So that had nothing to do with the technology of the company or the subscription platform itself per se. Yes, certain adjustments did have to happen within the structure of the business, but mostly it was about the individual soul person leading the enterprise, the founder, a shift in them and their intrinsic creative self-expression being so on point made it so much easier for that expression to flow into the entire company, the team, the culture, the marketing, all touch points of communication. And it had a very galvanizing effect because he got in touch with his true conviction and understood, oh, this is actually the mission that I am on. I was explaining it this way but I was missing these aspects because I had blind spots and nobody really pointed this, 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 and that out. So that's the creative process and its beauty when you're working and engaging with someone at a very human level versus what do we need to say on the ad to get more clicks? But meanwhile, as the person who's supposed to be the voice and the emanation of the brand, you're not really out in the open with your conviction. Absolutely amazing. And I think that just answers anyone who's saying, okay, well, what will be the connection with AI and storytelling and, and are people going to lose their jobs over it? Um, (laughs) That's an amazing way to put it is that it's just a calculator. It's something to help you process words, but you still need that emotion behind it. And it's probably going to help a little few more people out and find find their voice as well. But uh, it's it's only a tool, and it's it's only what's a deep tool. down inside. Wow! No different now, from wanting to be a singer, right? And everything is on auto tune, and then you perform live, <laughs> and your auto tune breaks down. Good luck. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be able to play acoustic. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's what we're coming back to. So in a sense, I'm actually really loving the fact that we're forced to come back to basics. Because basics right. is really where it's at. If you don't have the basics right, good luck with the rest of the stuff. And so having to go back to basics, yeah, an acoustic guitar, small mic, unplugged, downtown Toronto. Okay, I'll do an open mic session. That's very different from producing at home on a laptop or a computer and using tools and AI and auto-tune, I sound great, but yeah, real life performance, connection with people, transmission, conviction, ambiance, all of that is person to person. So with that being said, any gigs coming up for yourself, both musically and maybe another book? Definitely another book. That's the thing that I'm finishing now to really be much more all in on the music 
because once I get going with certain things, like that's it. So I'm working on the album, but the books are done. And I say books, plural, because there are three nonfiction books. I've always wanted to have a trilogy. Um, one book is not enough if I really want to convey the fullness of what I have to say. But a trilogy, a nonfiction book trilogy is awesome. And so that will be coming out revealed soon. And for the music, same thing. I'm picking the debut song. And it's been a bit of a challenge with that. The book writing, not as much because I'm well practiced in that. And I'm very, very clear conviction wise and specificity wise in terms of what I'm saying and what I'm for. Musically, though, like this song is a freaking essay. I need to say less. That's not what you do with a song. <laughs> you know, yeah, right? a poem is brief and there's repetition and lyricism of a different kind. If you look at it this way and that way. So it's a different art form. And I had a bit of imposter syndrome or perhaps not necessarily imposter syndrome, but rather like, yeah, not not full confidence. Again, I, I need to practice more. So right. with the need to practice more, that's becoming easier and easier to the point where I'm like, I'm feeling this way about this issue. This song is now coming up. Ooh, I can hear the melody in my mind. Ooh, I can feel the lyrics. Ooh, let me write down. Wow, this feels coherent. Record, don't overthink, release. Next song. Or next, 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 and then put them together into an album with a theme, release the album. So I guess it's more about me getting better at shipping product. <laughs> and I use that term <laughs> deliberately because right. to speak you know, of, of the brain and structure, my brain needs structure. Like I, I need structure for the brain to feel better and for my amygdala to not be firing up, um, you know, more than it should, which <laughs> you can help me with and you know all about uh and and so you know in that sense it's like okay i need to get into a musical mode in a particular way and i need structure and so there's this great story about eminem and he's working with this rapper and the rapper comes in it's like four or five p.m and then eminem is on his way out and the other guy's like wait i i thought we we're gonna record today he's like oh i'm here at nine and i'm out by six he has a blue collar sort of like you know, workers hands-on mentality when it comes to music. And honestly, that's actually what's required because creativity can feel like, oh, it's beautiful and free flowing. And no, it's going to require work and structure too. So then Eminem comes back to the studio the next day, you know, like 9 a.m. or whatever. And, you know, he checks in and that other guy, he's there on time. <laughs> and so he works <laughs> within Eminem's working hours. And then he's out for his lunch. He's back again. He's out by six. So more of that mentality around music is new for me because before it was fun and a creative expression and more of like a free flowing thing. But now as a career with a record label and platform building and really big global ambitions, structure is key. And that really helps my brain. I love it. Now, how do people uh, get in touch with you and find updates of what's going to be unleashed and, uh, and the trilogy and then the album. How, how do people Thank stay you. informed? Uh, to, to just connect with me, say hello, easiest way is to go to LinkedIn and use my author name, my given Arabic name, author name, Amir Ahmed Nasser, A-M-I-R-A-H-M-A-D-N-A-S-R. You'll find me on LinkedIn, add me, send me a note, say hello, would love to hear from you. 
And if you're intrigued to learn more about the nature of the work that we do at Assertive & Co., then simply just go to assertive.co and you can learn more there. Nice. I love it. Definitely check Dreama out and stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care.